Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the man otherwise known as Beardy Man, but also known as Darren Foreman. Hello. Hello. You right? All right, Daz. All right, mate. All right. All right. Good. All right. Thanks All right. for coming in. Thanks for inviting me. It's lovely in the studio. Nice to have you on. You've been podcasting recently because we heard you doing EggPod. I did EggPod, the Beatles podcast, and I was talking about um, McCartney's worst ever record, (laughs) in my opinion. (laughs) And I was basically... It's a bold claim. Yeah, well, I I wasn't defending the album at all. I was defending Paul McCartney as a songwriting genius. Not that he needs me to defend him. He's like the most highly decorated and wealthy. Did he drop your line after and say thanks? Cheers. Thanks for that. Uh, Yeah, so sorry. No, I think Paul McCartney would probably look back at McCartney too and be like, oh, there were some weird ones on that. I was going a bit out there. (laughs) But like, no, it's got some classics on it, but it's also like got a lot of hilariously terrible ones. But I wanted people to see McCartney too in the light that I do, which is that it's it's not unlistenable. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's Paul McCartney's. (laughs) First and only comedy record. <laughs> it sounds a bit like it, it reminds. It's an album that reminds me of another indefensible album that I'm really fond of, which is the first Beta Band album, the one the band actually disowned, which is just, <laughs> which is from end to end. You go, they had this huge record deal, everyone like waiting for their first album, and it's just got comedy songs on it from the beginning <laughs> to the end. And I was playing it recently, going, I love this record, and I think it still remains indefensible. <laughs> yeah, well, there's something like really. I don't want to get too deep too quickly, but there's. I think there's something beautiful about the truly awful like because you can all unite around that you know especially in these dark times in which we find ourselves at least we can all sort of you know take a step outside our situation and go you gotta laugh yeah do you I, there's something very communal about it i find that when i'm looking through you know, the, the, the tyranny of endless choice that we live in now that you switch on your telly and there's netflix or whatever and there's a million things to watch 
And the number of times I'll sit down to try and watch something for an evening and me and my wife will sort of go, what should we watch? And I'll eventually go, should we watch a bad film? Because <laughs> it's like it's uniting and you go, oh, we might disagree about a good film. Or at the end of a good film, you might go, oh, I won an Oscar and I really enjoyed it. But at the end of a bad film, you'll have laughed from the beginning to the end. You can, you can be united by sort of badness. Yeah, well, that's the, that explains the success of The Room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which the creator true. of The Room doesn't seem to quite get yet. No. He's Tommy Wiseau. He still thinks, I think, I think he still thinks that people love the room because it's a, a beautiful work of art. It is a beautiful work of art, but it's a beautiful work of sort of outsider art. It's not like, yeah. it's not a beautiful work of art like Van Gogh's Sunflowers. No, it's a bit like that um, that picture of uh, Christ that was on the wall of the Spanish church. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> then got touched up by somebody, isn't it? <laughs> it's someone, that sort of work of someone, art. Someone said that about that. said that the previous, the original version of that, that picture that's in the, the, the church is an indistinguishable piece of terrific Renaissance art, of which there are millions. And the thing that was done afterwards by the woman who couldn't paint is a unique piece of outsider art. And it's an argument of saying that she has massively improved it. I can't name any other work by the guy who did the original, but I really remember, and I'm str- <laughs> struck at the this sort of... There's a sort of lurch towards greatness that has been limited by her own capabilities that is probably just pure art, isn't it? Well, there's so many different kinds of bad. <laughs> to revel in. That's true. Like, That's true. Yeah, have we stated actually what Whoa. what I'm actually well, here actually, to actually it? talk about? We're usually not this good. Uh, we usually take us ages to get around to the subject. But oddly, we started <laughs> off actually talking about the subject. Uh, <laughs> Detail us what you have brought on to share with the world. What I have brought on to share with the world today that I really want the world to recognise for its brilliance is a formative piece of my personality and my <laughs> uh, my artistic sensibilities. Uh, it's Kenny Everett's The World's Worst Record Show. And now, Kenny Everett, the man the BBC tried to gag. On Saturday, on Saturday, was really, really great. Except for all the, Except for all the records you'll hate. a green sort of sick coloured record it's got a picture of Kenny Everett dressed as Superman well it's dressed as um, Captain Kremen Captain um, and it says cringe along cringe along with us and listen to some of the most tasteless sounds around pain can be fun <laughs> uh, and then on the back it says note after listening to this record, you may well feel like destroying it. May we suggest a constructive alternative? The tough turquoise vinyl of the record makes an excellent placemat for your hot soup, so why not rush out and buy five more to complete the set? And, you, yeah, you bring it out and it just says yuck in big letters on it. And it's so bad, but deliberately bad, amazingly bad. And it's actually it's part of a sort of long, rich history that Kenny Everett had of presenting bad music to the world for it to be ridiculed, mocked and reveled in. Yes, indeed. It's that heinous heap of 30 records that you voted the most crud-filled in history. So if you want to go... Or if you even want to go... Stay tuned. Kenny Everett is a fascinating and probably much underrated figure in sort of British comedy and a huge thing for me growing up. I'm sure everyone else growing up, you'd see the TV show. I think the TV show came on and my dad said, we're going to watch this because this guy's great because he knew him off the radio. Yeah. And he was 
one of the original BBC Radio 1 DJs. He did the original jingles for Radio 1 when they came on because he was a studio whiz and could make astonishing sound pictures with multi-tracking and speeding up and vocoders and things. He was an astonishing studio whiz. Now, altogether, you know the words. But he went from there, he, he got thrown out of the BBC and went to Capital. And when he was at Capital, he did a show called The World's Worst Wireless Show. And it was several hours of the worst music he could DJ. And the thing that only struck me this morning about that is Kenny Everett's identity, whether you know him from the TV shows growing up or have never heard of him, he was, his identity was he was a rebel. He's a pirate radio DJ who'd been brought into Auntie Beeb, which is a, a thing he made up, a phrase he made up. And he was being naughty in a closed environment. And when you've gone from Auntie Beeb to a commercial radio station like Capital, where basically there aren't, it's not stiff suits, it's not the man to rebel against. The only way you can rebel is to piss off your advertisers. <laughs> it only struck me listening to the, the mixes of his radio shows that you can get online, that he's deliberately gone off the playlist and is playing stuff that will make people turn the radio off and then putting adverts for double glazing between. It's the only rebellious thing you can do on a commercial station. <laughs> Commercial Radio, the service with the biggest tits in Britain, brings you Hello Time. Hello, 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 Two of these shows online, uh, you can find them. Um, one from 1978, I think, and the other from 1980. What struck me about the first one that I listened to is that in the top 15, because he grades them, he does the top 30 basically each time. And in the top 15, um, them the bottom 30. That's it. Yeah. The bottom. Sorry, <laughs> your all-time bo- bottom 30. Yeah. <laughs> in the bottom, in the in fact, in the bottom 11, there are three songs about people dying in car crashes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason. And some of them are really... I mean, they're awful. There's, there's, there's one... There's, uh, is make it clear, I mean, these aren't songs that he's recorded. He has been, no, these are these other are, people's these, songs. He's, he's being a proper DJ. He's crate digging. He's these doing, were listener suggestions. Really? Yeah. So they were sent in? Yeah, and people voted. What <laughs> I wanted to know was, what the, who the hell were his listeners? <laughs> well, it's, it's clearly a very elite group. There's a club feel with, with Kenny Everett. You join a club. And I was just writing down, he's kind of the John Peel of the daft. This is his, <laughs> this is his, like, his festive 50. And there's a little crossover. One of the songs on here... Which which is a song by uh, a guy called Steve Bent. It was an actor who does a song called I'm Going to Spain, which is genuinely appalling. I love that song. I think it's time that I saw the world And I hate it, yes, I hate the cold And I'm going to Spain Cousin Norman had a real fine time last year I got one of the best lyrics ever recorded which is the factory floor presented me some tapes of elton john which is a lyric <laughs> but the fall covered that and there's this crossover yes, of like sort did. of naff they and did. cool and the factory floor Very, very John Peel in the way that he's he's curating a shit record collection for you. <laughs> I'm going to see your lyric and I'm going to raise you a line from Melody Suggs's You Gone Stomped On My Heart. And listen to this rhyme. 
you just sort of stomped on my aorta. <laughs> yes. This record, was this a record your parents had? Yeah. Or one that you found yourself? Well, my parents had very sort of vanilla 70s music taste. They had all the Beatles, which is good. Yep. And then they had some Lionel Richie, they had ABBA and Elton John. And there was nothing which stood out as being like outsider music or anything kind of even vaguely arty. Maybe yeah. ELO was about as arty as they got, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then they had this, this mad collection of just terrible... And this was always me and my, my siblings' favourite record in the collection, because <laughs> it stood out, yeah. just like the, the terrible rendering in, in the Vatican City. Well, I think I'm going out of my head Yes, I think I'm going out of my head like arguably, you know, Elton John and the Beatles and that, they're all, they're so polished. Mm. It's pop perfection. I don't know. I've, I've met the occasional person that doesn't like them. Uh, but like... They're showing off. Yeah. They're trying to attract yeah. attention. But es essentially, it's really hard not to like that the sheen on that. And you can't find this kind of audio quality <laughs> or, lack, or lack thereof yeah. any, any, anymore. Things are bad for so many different reasons. It's beautiful. <laughs> and I feel like this is an area that's never really explored. I guess like, you know... People who make comedy probably talk about these things a lot. Yeah. You know, especially today when uh, we live in these kind of, uh, I guess, you know, people like Eric Andre and uh, Tim and Eric and stuff like that yeah. are all making stuff where it's kind of deliberately kind of car crash, unwatchable, squirm, yeah. you know, mm. eye bleed kind of stuff. And th that's very, that's kind of permeated a There's lot a of the comedy in, culture. There's a joke in Tim and Eric about giving people access to cameras and studios and television who are outsiders who shouldn't be on television. Bang, bang, gods and robbers. Bang, bang, robbers and cops. Bang, bang, rob that bang. Put them in jail, put them in jail. Yeah. That kind of pastiche of public access TV. Yeah. And there's a... There's a strange thing, This the era that a lot of these records are drawn from, and, and it's old because it's 1977, 78, the first one of these. And rock and roll's fairly new. I mean, it's about 20 odd years old. So they're looking back, they're, they're crate digging into rock and roll's shameful past uh, for, for fun. But a lot of this comes from a period where there was a massive outpouring of music. And you could do things like record a record in a day in a little studio. There was a lot of access from people who shouldn't have been allowed to make a record <laughs> or making a record, which with... Excessive good taste, and certainly in the high 70s when basically it's, it's the Eagles and, and polished radio rock, to be reminded of rock and roll sort of dirty fairground roots that you could just go into a record booth and turn out something dreadful. Feels oh, quite naughty. I think my grandma did that. Yeah. And we're talking like the 40s or 50s. Yeah, yeah they were little cubicles, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Where yeah. you could just re record over a backing track. And then but this, is, this has got a real sort of Tim and Eric thing of a lot of these are by people, not by sort of mainstream chart stars, but by actors jobbing to get a bit of work between stuff or by people trying well, to cash got, in. Yeah. Well, they've all got different stories. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. Like, so some of these people are kind of people that only ever recorded one song ever. Some of them are, the, you know, actors who... And there's a guy called Peter Wingard and I don't yes. know if he made it onto any of this stuff, did he? He must have. He's, done, he's not on any of the lists on this one. But he's not, be. but he is just. I mean, God, you could do a whole thing on on his album. This, yeah. It's the world's worst ever by some margin. I I did a mix in the vein of this with DJ Yoda that he's since disavowed and <laughs> he, just, he didn't even tell his missus he was doing it he was like I can't tell her that this is what I'm spending time away from my kids to do sorry if I've just outed you there Duncan no but like essentially 
I, I, I've wanted to do something like this for a while and me and um, Duncan, DJ Yoda were like, were like, what should we do? We should collaborate on something. And the only thing we could think of doing that really gelled was like merging all the worst things in our record collections that we'd, be fan- <laughs> we'd been fastidiously collecting over the years. Just like a playlist of stuff no- never to play to other people that yeah. we found hilarious. So we did it and we made a mix. It was like an hour of... And we made it listenable in the same way that Kenny Everett did by keeping it pacey. But we yeah, sort of yeah. updated the format so that it's more like a mixtape yeah. where, where there's stuff that's really unpalatable. We only play a little bit of it. And I do this in my shows sometimes. I'll do like really bad music for a short amount of time because it's funny. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I've been informed by this quite a lot anyway, but we did this mix and like um, it did quite well. It's just wrong. So take this out, man. Peter Wingard, there's a song that I didn't put on that mix oh, I think because I it's so one. bad and you know which one I'm know, talking about. One. It is. What we'll do, we'll just do a needle drop of that in the middle of this and never ever work again. Yeah, right. How much lira have you got? Only a quarter? Oh, Madonna, you didn't daughter. For that, I'll have your daughter. Yes. And it is a racist song about rape. <laughs> and it is the world's worst ever song. <laughs> And I couldn't even put it on. I was like, no, that's too much. Weirdly, I was noticing that the Kenny Everett thing has got some Shatner was yeah. on the... was on the, the So idea. that's a similar story, yeah. where they're a huge star, and then the producer says, we can make some money off selling records off your name, and then the likes of Wingard and Shatner were like, fine, but I want total creative control. And then they just you make... Just yeah. <laughs> you must re- wrestle that control off them. Yeah. But what you get then is, is a very, very high-end product yeah. with a very low-end artistic <laughs> quality. So it's basically, it's got amazing... A lot of these have got amazing session musicians on them. They're not cheap and shitty no yeah no it sounds beautiful it's like the the very best recording they could have done the Peter Wingard one was 1971 I think and it's yeah full orchestra beautiful arrangements and he's going on about it's terrible it's It's really bad it gives them something in common with I mean one of the reasons I think that these bad songs I've had Bad LPs growing up. I had Dr. Demento was one of the ones we had in our house. That's a classic. Which was basically, I think, influenced Kenny Everett a bit, the yeah. American version of curating terrible, terrible or novelty songs. But you grow up with these things and you hear novelty songs which tend to have very high production values, identical to any other Tim Pan Alley output because the machine was just turning this stuff out at the time, but with terribly ill-advised subject matter or bad lyrics or clunky uh, singing or whatever. And weirdly, what it reminds me of now, post-growing up, is it sounds like Vic and Bob. It sounds like Lucky Carpet or something. They've got this sort of... They sound like comedy songs, but you have to keep reminding yourself they're not that. They well, were meant are. to be taken seriously. Some are. So, like, yeah, so there's this whole sort of spectrum of, of bad music where you've got music that was intended to be a novelty record, and that will make its way onto a collection like this, and Kenny Everett put loads of those on. And then you get stuff which wasn't intended to be bad yeah. at all. Just someone who's got ideas above their station and uh, or, or there's there's some there's some artists who have been like funded by some wealthy benefactor <laughs> and they're terrible and no one is going to tell them so that. Sort of Florence Foster Jenkins kind exactly. of thing where basically yeah, with the the opera house in Citizen Kane, someone has built someone in an ill-advised opera house. Exactly. There are, also, there are also loosely themes, aren't there, as to why these songs got through. One is the one we we've, we've already identified, which is famous person who really probably shouldn't be singing. So that you've got William Shatner in there, you've got 
Leonard Nimoy's on one yeah. of the lists, Bob Monkhouse. And <laughs> most startlingly... That Monkhouse thing is just syrup. Syrup and oil. But most startlingly, <laughs> it is number one from the 1980 show, which is the newsreader, Reginald Bosenkay, doing Dance With Me. Now, because the context of this might be lost on some people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, this is a bit like if Hugh Edwards um, did a cover of a Sleaford song, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's extraordinary. <laughs> You're in a pub, a cafe, a club. Then move on, cause you've had enough. Some girls may joke, may laugh, may shout. Cause that's what this is all about. Dance, come on, let's see you. Dance, ladies. That's it, oh, I like it, I like the movements, it's nice. There's that. There's also people who can't sing. That's another thing that comes up. People who are just so out of tune. There, there's yeah, a great version. That's a whole of, category. There's a great version of Spinning Wheel on the '77 one, oh, which God. is a decent little song, and mm. it's done, but it's done by uh, Mel and Dave or something. Yeah. And he goes, "They're nearly an octave sharp." Yeah. Got, most of the singing's okay, and then there's one note they can't hit, and every time it comes round, you can feel it coming. And it's not that they don't hit it; it's they nearly hit it, and it's oh, it's delightful. Right. The next one is. Are almost an octave out of tune. <laughs> you know, if something's an octave out of tune, it doesn't sound so bad. But this is just almost an octave out of tune. It's by a couple called Mel and Dave, who are now in hiding. And I wonder... But it's just when, it's when the song kind of gets really complicated and the chords kind of change and they don't go with it. I think what you're, what you're saying about growing up, you hear very, very good music a lot. And it's a bit like people say about punk or whatever. Yeah, you hear yeah. very good music and you think that that's something made by aliens that you could never do. And when you hear outsider music or bad music, which is also music, it opens up a new musical palette, which makes you think, maybe I could do this. I remember growing up that hearing like B-sides where bands were drunk, I found really, really inspirational because yeah. I went, oh, I could sound like that. <laughs> and the, the, in the, certainly in the top three of the of the 77 worthwhileest show is the legendary Stardust Cowboy. Oh, my God, he's so good. Uh, which is an astonishing song, which <laughs> I... Uh, but was a huge inspiration for David Bowie. He yeah. named Ziggy Stardust after the legendary Stardust Cowboy. <laughs> and you're thinking, it's pure art. And even Bowie, like with a, with a giggle when he was interviewed about it, said, yeah, I like the idea of the music probably more than the music, because <laughs> the music wasn't really music. But there's a freeing thing about saying these people have created sort of bad art. Bad art can be really inspirational. Yeah, it's also it's good as a like a music maker or an artist of any sort to listen to like the bad the, the worst of your genre. It's, <laughs> it's so funny, it's so freeing mm. to know that like because you know you spend so long crafting your art yeah. and there's things that you have to kill your baby sometimes. You have to sort of just great ideas don't make it in because you have to keep things brief or pacey or, yeah. or, or whatever or just there's a good idea but it didn't quite fit but then there's something beautiful about just these people who have just they're, they're not really thinking <laughs> clearly enough <laughs> people say stupid stuff like especially our uh, culture ministers are always saying can we only make good films can we only make and record companies go can you just have some hits on this and you go the whole point is before something's really finished 
you don't know whether it's going to be the best idea or the worst idea. <laughs> and McCartney too is a good example of that. Going, going, I bet he thought bogey music was a brilliant idea while he was making it because he definitely finished it. And bogey music should be on this album, it, it, on the Kenny Everett albums. It's so bad. But the idea that the man who made Eleanor Rigby had roughly the same thoughts about the success of bo- bogey music as he did about Eleanor Rigby. And my brother will hate me if he listens to this because he thinks bogey music is the best thing on McCartney too. The idea that before you start a project, you know it's going to be a hit or you know it's going to be good is a thing that non-creative people think. And all creative people know that every idea is possibly brilliant and possibly terrible until it's finished. Well, I mean, so there's another category of, of, of bad art, of people painting by numbers and <laughs> yeah. having convinced themselves that something's going to be good because they're hitting all these points that they've identified that all the things that are successful hit. Yeah. So, like, someone like um, This Pullover by Jess Conrad. Oh, what a song. <laughs> the inimitable Jess Conrad. Uh, it's a song about a pullover. But he's probably, you know, his whole career, it seems, was defined by him thinking, this would be good. This would be great. <laughs> They'll love this. Oh, my voice is silken and beautiful. There's a so, cynicism to it that's really mm. horrible. Yeah, but that's a, that's meant to be a really heartfelt love song um, <laughs> to, to whichever partner he's wooing, where he's basically compared Comparing her to a pullover. It's shall I compare thee to a pullover? Is what it <laughs> yeah. is. Or winter's jumper. Yeah. <laughs> it was made, dear, like you were made for me. This pullover I find very smart. For it tells me that we will never part. On the back it says, Who can tell what makes a star? All you can say is that some artists have got it and some haven't. Jess Conrad has quite definitely got it. Jess is mobbed wherever he goes. (laughs) They're trying to kill him, that's why. He must have been convinced that it was great. Yeah. Well, there's a pomposity and sincerity (laughs) is always really funny. I think that the Eamon Andrews shifting whispering sand which makes it onto here which is basically like the shittest version of Dylan's Isis that anyone could ever make but the pretension of that the spoken word over the the the, the Mantovani strings I discovered the valley of the shifting whispering sands while prospecting for gold in one of the western states I saw the silent windmills the crazy lopsided water tanks the bones of cattle and burrows picked clean by buzzards. But you get the feeling that at the time, someone went, no one made that going, I'm going to make a shit record. They made it with the worst impulse in the world. They kind of went, this shit sells, which yeah. is a really terrible thing to think. That's where you end up with Jack Warner as well, who used to be Dixon of Dot Green, doing a tune called You've Got the Gear. <laughs> There's also there's a hell of a lot of gloominess, isn't there? Like the, um, the, the tune, uh, which is called The Deal by Pat Campbell, oh, God, which is the awful. one where he's, his wife is about to give birth to their son, oh, yeah. and in labour something terrible happens, <laughs> and the surgeon says to him, we can save either your wife or your child, and he goes to the hospital chapel and has a word with God. Um, and you, Now, I sort of get where these things come from, because I remember there was an Elvis tune called Old Shep, I yeah, think yeah. And it was about a guy whose dog had died. So the, and you think okay, there you can do something artistic with this gloominess, but there's so much of it on these on these playlists. Well, there's lots of death discs and things on there, which became a sort of a little cult genre everyone went mad for. Death disc, which is usually about someone. It's leader of the pack is probably the best known death disc. Yeah, the uh, idea being yeah. that someone has a smash up on a motorbike and that you sing a ballad about their death. It's is this of, a genre? Yeah, it's called death disc. <laughs> but there's about three or four of them on this. There's, there's one where the it's a transfusion where the guy keeps speeding and ending up in hospital and having to have blood transfusions. Mm. Which is transfusion, got, which blood is got, transfusion. My white corpse suckles are in contusion. <laughs> never, never, never going to speed again. Suck the hooby to me, Louis. Yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah. 
that? Was that a red stop sign? Transfusion, transfusion, I'm just a solid mess of contusions. Never, never, never gonna speed again. Slip the blood to me, bud. Pop a gallon in me, Alan. Pop a gallon in me, Alan. But it's just like a really awful, uh, gloomy, uh, bike accident version of Time of Kangaroo Downsport. So that's got the amazing thing where there's a sound effect of a car crash that's that so loud. the whole track. It's <laughs> <so laughs> noisier than the chorus. Yeah, you can't hear the first few words of the verse because the car crash is still happening, which itself is brilliant. It's, it's so brilliant. Simple, but that must be a novelty track. Yeah, that's that's supposed to be a novelty track. But those right. death dicks, there's loads of them. There's the yeah. one that I think is number one in 1977, which is I Want My Baby Back, which ends up with mm. the guy climbing into the coffin of his dead girlfriend. Yeah. And they do an audio effect that he's inside. <laughs> and then the song plays as if from inside a coffin. He's yeah. violating the corpse of his girlfriend. Yeah, from, from inside, inside a coffin. It's so bad. <laughs> That opens the, the disc. That's the first cut Is that of your, vinyl. That's your warning. Track one. Oh. And you're in. What a way to go. Commercial time. Let's have a little breaky. Let's have a little breaky poo. We'll be back in just a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's a, at the beginning of, I think it's the 1980s show, uh, Cuddly Ken says, you're going to hate me after today. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, a, as a statement of intent, is fantastic. We should mention, by the way, that this episode of this podcast is sponsored by the hot beverage tea. Yes, uh, we all enjoy we tea uh, and enjoy its effects. Yep. <sighs> tea is lovely, tea is refreshing, tea is such a pleasant drink. That's why I say, Polly, put the kettle on and let's all sit and have a cup of tea. It's lovely, tea, refreshing tea. It's such a pleasant tea. drink. Tea, so hot and tea, so comforting. That's why I vote tea. Tea lovers everywhere, why not have one now? Cheers. Cheers. I loved going to commercial radio. It's really helped. <laughs> What's 
really fun about this, I think, and what's worth celebrating is Kenny Everett is someone who I definitely know growing up as a comedian or a comic guy who did sketches and characters and Cupid stunt, things like that. But this is his roots. This is him as a DJ. And it says something fantastic about the culture of the DJ, that he was a pirate radio DJ, so like the new invention, the new form of DJ, rather than the welcome to the BBC Home Service kind of DJ, the first guy who did this. And he kind of invents a load of DJ tropes in here that then become pretty standard influence everybody and what he's doing on this LP and on these radio shows is pure DJing he's just crate digging he's curating which is what a DJ does they've got better taste than you and obviously being Kenny Everett his joke is that he's got worse taste than you <laughs> as it says on the B side of the packet that that record comes in es geht nichts über die Gemüchlicht der Schmitzer Kellermeister oh, I think we all go along with that now seven minutes to and the number one is coming up in just a second on... One. Nine. Four. I'm just padding. Because <laughs> I've got seven minutes and only one record left. Oh, well, here it comes then. Well, that's what, another thing that's great is that, like, David Bowie, pretty good, uh, did pretty well. And, yeah, he revels in bad music. I think you have to know what's good to really love what's bad what is this is the bottom he kept saying this is the bottom 30 what this isn't is the middle 30 yeah you don't want to listen to the middle 30 the really offensive thing is that kind of thing when you get a sportsman on desert island discs and they just pick stuff that that you go this is the worst music ever <laughs> because it's middling it's acceptable it's it's go how have you had a really strong feeling about this i don't know robson and jerome track or whatever and it really frightens you as a music fan to go oh the middle of the road the really middle of the road the acceptably blandly awful that's most pop music, though. Yeah, what's it always great about has this, been. This is exceptional. Mm. Whatever True. this, this middling, is, middling, yeah. safe, moderate rock, moderate pop, yeah. moderate jazz, moderate, everything you listen to on the radio is kind of moderated by the lowest common denominator in whichever yeah. genre or market segment it is they're trying to gain listeners for to sell advertising space. Tea is lovely. Tea. Why Kenny Everett, as a curator, then becomes this incredibly... I mean, he's puckish and naughty. He's, he's like the court jester. He's, he is cuddly Ken. He's got this language and this tone that says, I've been allowed in to mess about. There's a brilliant story about... He, he used to say, you can get into the BBC really easily. And you think he's going to be saying, oh, you apply and send a taping. You just walk in carrying something. <laughs> and it, he used to carry a 10-inch tape box to walk in. He said, people get used to you being around, then eventually they offer you a job. And he literally used to do that, which he used to make sure he was in Broadcasting House. Oh, so he was a face around. He has been allowed in to play with stuff. So he's not that moderate DJ. He's the opposite of the guy who's just playing the playlist, to the extent that he's playing deliberately the worst music he can possibly find. It's so devilish. Well, if we're talking about the genius of Kenny Everett, we should talk about the genius of Kenny Everett. Oh, well, yeah. you know, like, it's one thing talking about this compendium of terrible records, but how influential he's been is awesome. Like Chris Morris, for example, has totally. to have taken inspiration from the Absolutely. attention to detail that Kenny yeah. Everett gave. Well, Kenny Everett used to spend days making every single one of his uh, shows. I mean, it's amazing they only took days, but there were sketches and songs and parodies and everything and characters. He had a he bumped into a friend and her husband was at dinner with them and he heard the husband's voice and said you'd make a terrific butler. And then suddenly his radio show had a butler. <laughs> he did things like that. <laughs> Which, I can't work out whether he's live in the studio or on a car, but there's a man just going, yes, very good, sir, in the background loads. <laughs> but he did like the multi-layers, the things that you know him from, probably from TV, like doing the Bee Gees, where he's multi-tracked on TV. That was just a TV version of what he was doing on audio. Yeah, he's brilliantly musically talented, isn't he? Yeah. 
Well, he was mates with, with all the, the studio bands, and they all loved it. Well, he was like busy mates with the Beatles, and he was the yeah. first person to play Sgt. Pepper on the radio, I think. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. yes. yes. He's, he's totally this force for taking what should just be sitting behind a microphone and queuing up records and turning it into something close to art. And the BBC knew he was really, really precious. There's a, there's a wonderful letter. He, he got in trouble. He got first fired from the BBC in about 1970, and he got fired for implying that the Minister of Transport's wife had taken a backhander to pass her driving test. So quite an innocuous gag. But the BBC said, right, you're carpeted. There's a, there's a feeling that he may have been being carpeted because he was kicking up a stink about the musicians' union demanding uh, that he not have too much needle time, as in he's a DJ and they wanted him to have dance bands on. That's still a problem today. I know DJs have been fired for playing too much of the too music much they music. wanted to play. It's the one job he had. Really? He, yeah. he, he, was, wow. he was sort of a thorn in their side. And he got fired and Johnny Beerling, who was the head of, uh, who was in charge of, what was BBC Sounds or BBC Radio back then, um, wrote a letter to the guy who fired him and said, you can't get rid of this guy. He said, if George Best does something disgraceful, you don't throw him out of Manchester United. And that's how they saw him as their star player, a maverick, someone who's hard to control, but without whom the brand doesn't exist and the team doesn't pull together. He was seen as so essential to turning Radio 1 into a thing that young people would listen to rather than a bit of the BBC. But he got, he got canned and sort of went over, over to, to commercial radio where he started creating these terrible radio shows. But he's, his voice, I mean, he was replaced at Radio 1 by a 21-year-old uh, sound-alike that they hired in, which was Noel Edmonds. And they hired in the youngest, <laughs> funkiest guy they could. So without, without Kenny Everett, there is no Noel Edmonds, which is a thing. But if you look at what, obviously, in the cool arena, Kenny Everett gives you Chris Morris and the density of and attention to detail and the sound architecture. And John Holmes and other people as well. I and think. people who play with cut-ups and things, yeah. all that stuff. But obviously, in the slightly uncooler thing, he invents the DJ that is Noel Edmonds, the guy with the wacky characters and crinkly bottom. He invents Dave Lee Travis's quack quack oops and things. There's not a DJ who comes after him in Britain who hasn't borrowed from him. He he stops it being a man in a tie behind a microphone. Record break. Here is the weather forecast until midnight. Northern Britain will have sunny periods and snow showers. Snow over many central and southern areas will slowly die away. <laughs> I came to know Kenny Everett through the reruns of the uh, of a sketch show, yeah. sort of variety sketch show that he had in the eighties, and my mum was always really into him. She was like, "You have to see this." It's a weird thing. He was sort of seen as kid friendly, even though he was filthy and full of like sexual innuendo, and yeah. it was really strange. But he was seen because he was cuddly Ken. He was sort of safe for kids to watch and yeah. naughty, and I liked him. But when he does that thing with on Blankety Blank where he bent Terry Wogan's microphone, <laughs> that's basically what he did to the BBC. BBC property was yeah. there for Kenny Everett to bend and and piss about. But he with. could get away with it. That's how like sort of personable and affable and 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 genius he was. But you know he's switching accents every three seconds into <laughs> yeah. He yeah. goes from this voice into this voice into actually being himself into. You can never quite get a handle on on who he really is. And he's, he's like very speeded. He's yeah, exactly. But he like, sounds so, like jam. <laughs> yeah, so he gets away with 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 doing this kind of stuff and, and playing these terrible records, and everyone gets it. Um, but I actually pitched an idea like this to the head of. Six music, and I believe his exact words were, and we we'd had a few by that point. But he he was like, <laughs> I I hate that idea, I hate that, and I hate you for suggesting it. It's <laughs> never no, <laughs> but you know I don't have the heft of of Kenny Everett's kind of trailblazing glory behind me necessarily in that vein. Kenny Everett is probably the finest example of someone 
who came in, he was talking not only the language of pop music and of DJing, but also of very speeded tape and studio effects and all the things, that, that crazy psychedelia that he did jingles about sort of groove along with Auntie B, but it didn't sound embarrassing. It sounded like he was just speaking the language of, of the audience that they wanted to reach. Yeah, and jingles for products like Glock and, <laughs> um, and uh, Wonder Glock as well, which gets rid of compost heaps. <laughs> I don't know how. I'm just going to take another sip of tea. Oh, yeah, we should have some more tea. Mm, tea. Do tea. Mm. That's good tea. Lovely. We do use and endorse tea, don't we? Yes. One of the things I remember really vividly from my childhood was wandering around. Capital was a, a, when he was on on Capital Radio, you could receive it in London and I lived outside London. So I'd go and visit my aunt and she'd have Capital on, which made me feel very urban. And he he was on there and he was doing a a traffic report. And I was wandering past the radio and it went, uh, the traffic report is going to be congested pools near (laughs) Staines. And I remember that going, that's the funniest traffic report I've ever heard. And he's just made the congestion funny. Yeah, he said a joke on the, on the 1980 one that you can get online that says, he's saying there's a tailback, and he's like, police are also encouraging people not to do handbrake turns on the motorways, which is causing an awful lot of problems. No one would ever say that, ever, now. The joy of listening to him is feeling that you don't know what he's going to do next. Mm-hmm. And I suppose what you're talking about with, with these curated records, these crate digs of shit, is that genuinely you don't know what's going to come up next. And there's no. an excitement. I was listening to him walking in thinking, I am thoroughly enjoying this, because the one thing it's not is boring. Yeah, because some of them are bad from the start, and you know what's funny about it. So some of them, they're kind of, they're, they'll creep up on you, and then there's one thing about it. This is from a heritage of sort of a lot of this from garage rock and things. Surfing Bird by The Trash Men is on here, which now is regarded as a classic, but was You're in 1977. Right, it is. How well everybody's heard about the bird. They've all got the same thing. That beautiful moment in Louie Louie, where the lead singer of The Kingsman comes in a verse early, and they haven't taken it off because it was recorded so quickly, there was no chance to fade out him going, Meh, and then it pauses. Was that right? You know the story behind that as well? No. Um, they told the band that they weren't recording oh, and that God. this was a practice attempt. And then the producer was like, now that's the one. He's like, no, dude, I was, I was going... Yeah. Like, as a joke, please don't use that. Let us record oh it again. Oh, my God. And the one they used was the rehearsal. And that's why it's so good. But but nothing sounds like that. And what these these songs have got in common with that, I mean, Louie Louie isn't on here. It's sort of regarded as a a pop classic. There's a thin line between those sort of slightly edgy, breaking the envelope, the sound of wild youth songs, and some of the songs on this. There's a punkiness to this. Yeah, like Paralysed. It's amazing. Is that's the first punk record ever? I think. When was that? Yeah. The late sixties. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just a man screaming. Yeah, and the drum solo is like drum kit falling down the stairs, and then this like coronet solo comes out of nowhere. It's T Bone Burnett on drums. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's Iggy Pop. It's got a wildness to it. You can understand why Bowie went mad for it. There's, there's something interesting about bad music. It's not just funny. And it is, I mean, it is funny. I was laughing all the way. <laughs> there's something, well, you want, you want to hear something in it that you won't hear in, again, it's not average. Anyone I know who loves music <laughs> shares music with other people. And that's what the best DJs do. The best DJ, which is John Peel or Kenny Everett, will introduce you to new music. It's the best thing that can happen with, a, with the, the, the platform you're given as a, as a, a public curator of art. 
is to say, have you heard this? And the joy of this is Kenny Everett saying, OK, I played you Sergeant Pepper, I played you some Electric Lady. <laughs> have you also heard this? This is all part of the same thing. Music journalist mates of mine do this all the time. You go back to their flat and they say, you've got to hear this. And sometimes it's brilliant, but you get bored of brilliant pretty quickly. And sometimes it's, oh, my God, it's a Bernard Breslau single. This is a person who is just brilliant at this, doing a public display of Before this. people did this. Before people did this. Before, this, is before before. The golden, this is the Golden Raspberry Awards era where people started to get into bad movies. Yeah. That idea of getting into kitschy things so bad it's good. Yeah. He's right at the vanguard of that. <laughs> yeah, the first person to celebrate the crap. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably he's quite a big influence on you, isn't he? I would think Massively. so. Massively. I mean, I'm terrible. So I just... No, no, no. No, no. no but like I say, like, I'll, I'll often do a bit in a show which... I sometimes I'll deliberately start something bad because I'll be like I'll wait till the audience have twigged just how bad this is and then I'll then I'll pull up and, and stop or I'll be doing something and I'll be like oh that's that's not a good loop but I'll keep looping it because that'll be funny you know so there's yeah I, and I learned a lot about the comedy of crapness through this album yeah. I'm like you know it's, it's if got the tricks on it does it teach you all the lessons kind of yeah I mean you know it's like if something's bad and it's unlistenable keep doing it and they'll start laughing eventually like Stuart Lee uses a lot of this stuff yeah, you yeah. know he'll do something that's like just keep pummeling away at this like, yep. just flogging that horse until yeah. people start laughing there, there was a great there was a, vis, there was a Viz top tip years ago he said if you fall over in the street do it again so people think it's part of your normal walk and I always thought that's yeah. a genuinely good piece of advice well I do this when I'm improvising something because like my keyboard chops are not absolute they're not, I'm not that amazing at the keyboard so I'll be like sort of playing something I meant to do that and I'll be right. like I was just doing a chromatic scale <laughs> yeah also yeah. I was thinking presumably he's influenced you in terms well because like Kenny Everett did such great things with effects, just chopping tapes up and mucking around with them. And the, the first time I saw anything you'd done, it was your Kitchen... What's the title of it? They named it Kitchen Diaries. Kitchen Diaries. They did it with this dude, Greg. Yeah, which um, is you basically explaining a recipe using using drum machine sounds. Now I'm going to show you how to make one of the most effective breaks of all. Now, for this, you'll need a... That's an 808 clap. And also a bit of... That's a dry snare. Then you'll also need some... That's a 909 clap snare. And then, of course, some... That's a kick. And then the... That's some bass. And some... And... For good measure, that's the synth. Oh, and no break, of course, would be complete without a bit of a shuffle. So, for this, we're going to use some household white noise. You can get this from your TV. I got mine from Sainsbury's. Now, yeah, it was 11 years ago, the very beginning of YouTube. Now, that got like a million views when nothing was getting a million views it's on YouTube. fucking brilliant is why it got a million views. It's it is. very, it's very good. Brilliant. Brilliant. I am so fucking funny. brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah. Funny. No, but, um, that's why I don't know why you like this bad music. Your music is so excellent. Uh, yeah. No, but um, no, I, I grew up listening to Kenny Everett on the radio as well. He was on Capital Gold, I think, for yeah. a while. And um, so I guess subliminally it was all going in. All this kind of, you know, yeah. hyper-intense, fast-cut, multi-character stuff. So without even realising it. Because, like, my parents were also playing me 20 Birds of the Worst, Kenny Everett's world's, world's worst record show that we'd just be in stitches laughing along to. But they also had Spike Jones, yeah. Yeah. who was someone I was going to talk about on this. Yeah. Like, you could do a whole episode on him. He was from the 50s is when he, he got his TV show. But he'd been going for a while before that. And Mel Blanc, the voice of all the Warner yeah. Brothers characters, was in his band. And they were this kind of musical act where they would take the popular songs of the day and just subvert them and deconstruct them. And it was all very kind of playful, but it was done with this really acerbic edge, which was the same kind of thing that you found in the Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah. yeah. Explosions and gunshots and, you know, people doing these wild 
stunts, and it was just madness. And it was all sort of interspersed with jokes, like about why they, they, they even the band knew this was terrible, <laughs> and, but yeah. it wasn't terrible. It was very highly skilled. The way that Spike Jones used to edit things to get a laugh out of how fast an explosion would happen or a noise, a sound effect would come in is something that Kenny Everett had completely in his bones. Mm. One of the reasons that I think it's all right for him to sit and go, this music is shit, is that every time a jingle comes up and you hear what he can do in the studio, you go, oh, you're brilliant. So you are allowed to judge this stuff because you are musically and your ear and your sense of rhythm is so good that when someone fluffs something on a, on a, on a bad record, you know. But I think there's something in music where often you'll have something to raise the tension in music like for example doing a riser before a drop which is yeah. totally standard now in like dance music pop music and whatever you know it's like and then there's a big gap and then the beat comes in and yeah. it's all the better that the drop is really sparse because the track has got far too crowded just before it so that kind of contrast is key to making music you're like I'm going to put something that the audience can't tolerate and they that because they understand the form they'll be willing to let their ears be totally overwhelmed by white noise because they know that the relief is what's coming and it's the total polar opposite to hmm. that. So like that's done in in every song now because the production value is there. <laughs> but like you know, listening to really terrible records is kind of like doing that but in a more kind of <laughs> drawn out way. Yeah, overwhelmed with mood. badness. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the things that I think people find difficult about thinking about creativity is that usually when you read accounts of uh, creativity in the past or look at lists of the 100 albums you must own, they're all brilliant. And that's not how the world actually is. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, you need to know that there were some shit ones as well, because otherwise you go, well, I won't even attempt this. This is awful. It makes the bar seem like... Yeah. The bar does need to be high. You need to know that you shouldn't be shit. But also, it's really discouraging. I used to say that the big problem with, with reading, say, the autobiography of Michael Caine is that he started off as a fish porter and became one of the richest actors in the world. And he went, there are loads of fish porters who don't. And you need to know the stories of failures as well as the stories of successes if you're going to have any perspective on how hard or easy art actually is. That's why I love Anvil as a movie. It's about yeah. a band who are identically as good and bad as any other heavy metal band who didn't get the breaks. Yeah. And this, this record is full of people who had good intentions and weren't quite good enough. Yeah. And do, that's do, quite do you think they all had good intentions? Do you think, <laughs> are you going to name some who had evil do you intentions? Do think that Shirley Ann Fields hit... It's legal. Have good <laughs> oh intentions. God. That doesn't sound. That like was a whole tradition, though. That was a whole genre. There was a whole subgenre of like, oh she's God, a bit really? too young. Step. I think they called it. No, they didn't. But like, <laughs> that, but that's. Um, there are songs you can't play now. That like, young girl, yeah, get yeah. out of my mind. My love for you is way out of line. But a run, girl, <laughs> you're much too young, girl. Belted. <laughs> Why no one would ever dare play that now. That's fucked up. <laughs> you don't think about that. I hadn't thought about that. Are you, are you joking? Like, messed up, man. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> so necrophilia, paedophilia, any other philias covered I'm, on this? I'm just, I'm just going to have another sip of tea. Mmm, <laughs> tea. Tea cleans the, uh, the taste of bad thoughts out. Yes, it does, yes. <laughs> It's a very good astringent in that respect. <laughs> Excellent hot beverage, tea is. Isn't tea marvellous? Tea is lovely. There's something amazing about doing something without any thought at all. Um, 
which I, I think I, I was encouraged to do by things like this Kenny Everett record where there's people who, who didn't put enough thought into it and there's something beautiful about the fact they didn't. And then, you know, seeing people like Reggie Watts who mm. just, you know, just stumbles into things. He doesn't always do that. He's got a variety of approaches he uses and if you don't know about Reggie, you have to check out his work, if you can call it that. He's more <laughs> of a shaman than a comedian. Like He's often called a comedian, but I think he's more of a shaman. And I often have to remind myself of how much I love that of that how that is my favorite thing is when people are just going for it and there's no like i wonder what i should say as a punchline when right. sometimes like, a laugh isn't your only currency yeah. wow do you know what i mean yeah there's a, there's a delight in texture i suppose in these things where what what you're laughing at it's hard to pinpoint because these weren't meant to be funny yeah exactly so the idea is that you'll go well i'm finding this more delightful than if this was a right said fred the song and also the novelty band are meant to be funny. There's a deliberate novelty thing. You don't enjoy that as much as you enjoy these because these are these tickle your brain. Unconscious. Well, there's a madness. way of being funny. There's a way of being funny, uh, which is to to be as unfunny as possible. <laughs> and like, so someone like Reggie will do that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Where there is no punchline, it's just the the relentlessness of the same yeah thing. There's a sort of art to it. I mean, there's. The opening of the, the Kenny Everett Worst Wireless show is him saying, this is going to be three hours long. <laughs> and there's something funny about saying, I'm not just going to play you a tiny clip of a bad song. Strap in, because I'm not going to stop. <laughs> there's, there's a sort of willful, oh, this is an art project now. And you do this on Capital. There's adverts for double glazing in the middle of it. Right, sit still. <laughs> I'm locking the doors and you're trapped with this and it's your own fault. Like the warning on the back of the record saying you may feel unusual after this. <laughs> It's a delight, and it's sort of, I suppose, it's it's. There's an extreme. It's pushing you. Yeah, that it is says, art. It says here on the back of the record, it says HM Government Health Department's warning, like a cigarette packet. This record can seriously damage your mental health. <laughs> High vinyl content. <laughs> Don't eat it. Yeah, it's 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 about the framing of it, because yeah. you know, like. That, I mean, that's the essence of comedy. Oh, that was the wankiest thing I've ever said. No, 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 that's because, right. because, no. because you know, because it's a Kenny Everett, because it's a Kenny Everett radio show, you know that this is going to be fun, and therefore that's the context in which you go. Yeah. Now listen to this tune about a car crash. Now listen to another tune about a car crash. Now listen to one where, where the, it's got a lyric about a twelve-year-old lying in a pool of his own blood. But because of the context, you go, oh, okay, I get it. I get what he's doing here. And the same is true of the album cover because it's got this lovely cartoon, colourful album cover, and yet within it, it contains multiple. Poisons. <laughs> <laughs> Just bad music. Deliciously bad. Well, he ruined me, though, Kenny Everett, for, for avant-garde music. Because having grown up to this record, um, me and my wife, then girlfriend, went to Paris and we were like, let's be sophisticated and go to a jazz night. And so we went to this like cellar somewhere near the Arc de Triomphe and they were playing this wild, far-out avant-garde stuff where there was a dude blowing through a saxophone without actually playing any notes and just tapping on the keys. It was like... like that. There was a guy playing all kinds of electronics, getting really into it, but it was just... And then and a guy like hitting the piano. None of them playing their instruments as the instruments were designed to be played. Really weird and terrible and hard to listen to. And every single person in the room, to a man, was like stroking their beard, seriously staring at this. And I was in hysteric, couldn't breathe, on the floor, just going... Like this, my wife's like, "You're right down there," because she she was tickled by it. But I was just like, ah, 
No, and it was funniest. It was kind of like you know, I get the giggles at funerals. So you're yeah. like, this, this has made this has made avant-garde music funny. It's ruined avant-garde music for me. Yeah, I can't help but find it funny. There's a there's a pretension threshold. I think when you get above it, or maybe there's like a sort of ratio. It's pretension to sort of. Uh, results achieved. Like, uh, music that's over earnest <laughs> is just doesn't matter how good it is. If it's you need to be like super into avant garde jazz to not laugh. And I was the only person that was there by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think in a way that's probably the perfect tribute to Kenny Everett, isn't it? That if he's if he's managed to make avant garde jazz funny, unendurably <laughs> funny, I think he'd be happy with that result and his and his life. <laughs> he's achieved something. Thank you for bringing in Kenny Everett, the world's worst record show. Cheers for that. Thank no you, Beauty Man. It's been a delight. It's been terrible. Commercial time. Cheers.